Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Charles Laughlin, Content Director for Big Five Digital. And today we have a great guest. It's Catherine Budd, and she is co-founder of Now Money. It's a Dubai-based challenger bank startup, payment startup that has an interesting focus, which is the migrant community, migrant worker community in the Gulf region, which is massive and represents a huge pile of remittance uh, income that is shipped off to multiple countries around the world. And it's a huge opportunity to provide banking services to this community, which is very large and notoriously underbanked. And Catherine and her partner, uh, co-founder Ian, uh, spotted this opportunity about five years ago or six years ago uh, and figured out how to uh, turn that into a business. They've launched it, uh, I think, in 2016, recently raised $7 million and have a lot of ambition for where to take this business in the future. So we have a great conversation with her, kind of breaking down her business model, you know, the pros and cons of it, uh, how they expect to scale, and uh, what the future holds for them. So it's also an interesting look kind of at uh, some of the issues around, you know, how to serve this community better, this migrant worker community better in Dubai and uh, the UAE and the Gulf region generally with financial services. So without any further ado, I'm just going to move into the conversation with Catherine, and we hope you enjoy it. And please subscribe to the podcast, and we'll have more content coming up in, over the next week. Thanks, and enjoy the interview. Kat, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, a little bit about your personal background. Uh, you're obviously co-founder of Now Money. That's the reason for our conversation today, but let's talk a little bit about what led up to that. You know, what was your sort of early career? uh, How did you get started? And then we'll get into how it led to Now Money. Sure. So my background was as a dentist, and I've been lucky enough to have a career working in payment startups and with banking data for a few different places before I was in Dubai working for Now Money. Um, Previously, I was with Cardlytics, which is quite a big, well-known fintech out of the US. Mm -hmm. And before that, with Nectar in the UK, both of those businesses were extremely fast growing, did very, very well. And I guess gave me the taste for working in payments, understanding how it all fitted together. Um, I then moved out to Dubai uh, around about 10 years ago now to work in a more traditional banking environment, which was fine. Uh, But then probably having worked in some more high potential or, or high growth startups. Oh my God, I'm really sorry. My cat's just like creeping. Okay, the the cats are fair game. It's all good. <laughs> oh, he's like, why are you now throwing cats and dogs? Uh, yeah. It's it's almost uh, you're a little surprised when you don't have a barking dog or a, a cat walking across the keyboard. It's, it's fine. <laughs> he's like behind the screen doing that. Um, Sorry, okay. lose my train of thought. Uh, so anyway, I yeah, I was working out in Dubai in a much more traditional payments environment. So uh, living in Dubai was great. Realized I was quite happy here, but certainly was started to look for a more exciting opportunity again. There wasn't really one in terms of a new, you know, high-powered fintech or something that was fast-growing that really appealed and. Around the same time, an old university friend of mine, Ian, was out here quite a bit for work. He was working for HSBC as an investment banker. And we started to scope out various opportunities and ideas we'd had around banking and payment startups. 
part of that was scoping out what the total addressable market would be in terms of banked customers, et cetera. And there are actually a relatively low number of banked customers in the UAE. When we dug into that more, it turns out that there's really quite a high minimum salary requirement to have an account at all in the Gulf, let alone a more premium bank, then the salary requirement's even higher. So uh, at a basic traditional bank, the salary requirement is about a thousand US dollars a month. Now, so is that, that a de facto actually, requirement, you know, that that's what you need to maintain a balance, a minimum balance, or is it an actual requirement, just to be clear? Yeah, so it's, it tends to be quite a hard requirement, and there often tends to be a, a minimum, balance, minimum balance requirement as well. Uh, if you don't, then you're basically subject to fees. But even if, if you can get to that, that point, you're lucky, because most just won't accept you at all. By country, there are, the rules are actually different. So in Saudi, technically, you are supposed to be able to open an account even on a low income, but they just make it very, very difficult for you. So if you watch somebody who's on a low income try and open a bank account, it's it's pretty heartbreaking. They just won't really be able to get anywhere with a traditional bank. Mm -hmm. So that was about five or six years ago now. Uh, in 2015, we, we started scoping it out and realizing there was a real opportunity around creating something that was uniquely designed for the needs of, of lower income people. And possibly naively at that stage, we'd seen success of digital only banks in, in the US, in, in Europe really start to take off. And we thought, why, why is nobody doing that here? Why is nobody servicing these people? It's obviously a much leaner way to run a bank. And that's part of the reason that traditional banks weren't interested in servicing low income people is there's a, there's a big cost to running an account you know, out of a bank that has a big branch network and large operations which you know, obviously just doesn't doesn't work if people are on a low income and those people tend to take out most of their salary the day that they're paid and, and send it back to their families which is the primary goal of migrant workers in the gulf so we set out in 2015 2016 to build a digital bank which would have all the features that low-income people might need from a digital bank account which really aren't that different from features that wealthier people want but just need to be perhaps even more intuitive perhaps uniquely about the gulf the decision around who banks people on a lower income tends to be made by the employer because the employers are actually required by law to use some kind of system to pay people and make sure that everybody is being paid what it says on their labor contract so that actually gave us quite a good opportunity in terms of our go-to-market strategy as well. So rather than just signing people who are on an individual basis, we work with any corporate company that might employ people in what are sort of known as, as blue-collar roles. So people like cleaners or construction workers, hotel staff, retail, medical, really anybody that's not in a well-paid office job would be somebody that falls into our target market. We sign that corporate company, we give the company a really simple to use payroll solution that they can manage from uh, online. And every one of their staff gets access to a now money account, which they can manage from their smartphone. They also get a visa debit card and uh, the company can pay them all into their now money accounts. And the guys can then just use their accounts just like you would with your bank account. They can monitor transactions they've made with their visa cards. But they can also use other value added services in the app like mobile top up, real time pay, uh, pay bills and obviously make remittances, which is, is what's real time. Pay? Is that just pay making payments in real time or is that real time pay is drawing down your salary? That's as what you I thought. Because okay. yeah. that's a whole that's a exactly. 
there's a ecosystem building around that service. Yeah, there is. It's yeah. a very popular service in, in the US and the UK. Kind of helps people with their smoothing of their salary and being We're seeing able some to of them pop access. up in South Africa yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's quite a few in South Africa. Um, Africa generally is is doing really well with mobile payments and those sort of services for mm -hmm. for people. Okay. So so a few questions here. Um you saw this opportunity. Um mm -hmm. What told you it was a lucrative, maybe you don't think it's lucrative, but what, what told you it's a lucrative opportunity? I mean, what about, because yeah. you can say, oh, you know, lots of small accounts, lots of small hmm. dollars. But what what about this makes it from a just a cold hearted business point of view? What makes it a good opportunity? Sure. So it's probably important to start when people talk about fintech to separate different types of fintech and software which is actually a huge part of fintech is very different the pricing model for things like software as a service is very different to what i would carve out as payments so payments fintechs which we would obviously be included in, in that have a very different um approach into getting regulated actually getting started than somebody who's a, a software business, it's very straightforward for them and they probably have quite a high margin and sort of license fee type of price. Yes, it's a great business. Payments is this <laughs> a complete, yeah, 100%. Like, you know, in retrospect, if somebody told me they want to get into fintech, I, I'd suggest that they start a software business that they can mm -hmm. sell to banks instead. But uh, if you want to get into the payments game, it tends to be a much longer route to market because there's a lot more red tape, regulation, compliance, those kinds of factors that you need to be able to make sure that you can actually deal with. And then in terms of actually making revenue, it's a scale game. You're right. So payments really, whichever part of it you're in, it's a very low margin industry comparatively with something like software or obviously completely different industries like, like retail, where you've got really healthy margins. Pay, margins in payments tend to be sort of between 05 to, to 3%, so very low compared to, yeah. to other, other industries. It is also worth mentioning that, and the thing that is particularly attractive to us, considering that so many people who live in the Gulf are migrants and are sending money home to other places, if you look at that market, the outbound remittance market from the Gulf is 100 billion US dollars a year. That's massive. Yeah. And the only place that's only slightly bigger is the US who do 140. So it's not like, you know, we're the, the kind of ugly cousin to the US. And no, no, by proportional. When are you getting there? Like, Adjusted for population, you know, it might be really, yeah, yeah. yeah, we're really only just behind. So, mm -hmm. and of that 100, uh, the UAE does 30, Saudi does 45, and then the other Gulf markets make up the remainder. So we really are almost in, in prime position for outbound remittance. And that's what attracted us as, right, you know, this is something that banks are not doing very well at the moment, offering customers a built-in remittance solution. It tends to be priced badly when people remit out of banks. This is something, again, that migrant workers need that's different from what banks have on offer at the moment. This mm -hmm. is this is where we're going to monetize. So that was and always has been the anchor product in our app is you know, making sure that we could offer remittance to the top corridors that people send out of the UAE and making sure that those are serviced particularly well. Saying that, we do have now a number of other value-added services, which you know I already mentioned, the, the real-time pay, the bill pay, being able to obviously use your visa card anywhere that visa is accepted, 
uh, buying mobile top up. We offer that locally and internationally. And those products are, are really widely used by our customers. Right. So all, all the other services that we offer have actually turned out to be as important probably as remittance. But remittance is the reason that everybody's here. Right. So that's the hero. So product. you monetize each of those points that you just we listed. We monetize each yeah. of those. Yeah, um, we get a commission from all of our suppliers. Right. That, that you, what, what, what made your eyes widen from this was the remittance option, <laughs> right? Yeah, I get the remittance opportunity just in terms of, you know, the size of that market. If you've got to articulate the size of your market to an investor, like investors get excited about a, you know, single billion dollar market. So having access to a hundred billion dollar market, even if it is something that you can only get 1% of is obviously still absolutely enormous. Those numbers. So yeah. yeah, exactly. It is. Um, it does look very good. I mean, it just to give you some, I guess, uh, what's the word kind of like a comparison for the, for the remittance market, Remiss the outbound remittance market is worth about seven times the global aid market. Okay. That's so it's, okay. it's, it's, it's enormous. Yeah. 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 So a couple of questions about that. Yeah. Question about that is, so you say to get just 1% would be amazing. Yeah. How hard is it to get 1%? I mean, how, what are you, are you going against? Are the banks your, your competitors here? Are mm -hmm. there, there's other remittance companies, obviously. Um, yeah. So, yeah. How tough is it to get to 1% or 10%? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'd still say that our our main competition would be exchange houses or mm -hmm. there's a couple of salary card companies that offer a pretty basic service. They're probably still our main competition, but they are frankly quite sort of 1990s in the style of product that is, that's being offered. So... Mm -hmm. We don't really feel that there's a huge competitive angle in terms of going out and selling the the payroll product into companies. Like what mm -hmm. we do is is certainly best in market. Uh, where we do still run into more competition is further down the line for actually remittance for getting customers to make remittances through the app. There tends to be a bit of a learning curve in the first few weeks where customers get used to the idea that they can actually make remittances through their phone. They don't have to take out cash anymore and take it to an exchange house. Um, so at that point, I'd still say that the status quo or like the old way that they've had to do it for the last few years because they didn't have any other choice is still the competition. That's the bit that we sort of focus on on engagement most. So entrenched habit is your competition? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, entrenched habit, force of habit, you know, trust, um, yeah. having you know, have been using a system that works most of the time for the last few years, people are reluctant to try something else. So right. we tend to give people a bit of free money to remit initially so that they can send that home, you know, understand that it reached their mom or whoever it is that they send the money to generally. Once they've done that, that tends to usually help build a bit of trust or they will often use some of the other ancillary services that we have as well, the mobile top up, et cetera, which are sort of smaller ticket transactions. Um, build a bit of trust that way with us because they can they can buy that you know it saves them having to go out and buy a mobile recharge which most of them tend to be on prepaid plans mm -hmm. uh, so that tends to help as well okay so a bunch of questions about the business yeah, you raised seven million uh, seven million right recently uh, yeah. and um, yeah. what what was the hook was it the remittance <laughs> market I mean was that the hook for the investor I mean or talk about what excites them about the opportunity of your company now seven million is a nice raise my mm. guess is you're probably going to be going back for more <laughs> a few yeah. times 
but yeah uh, i mean yeah. we're we're very you know alike to any other challenger challenger banking products that's in the market one thing that's notably different about now money customers to challenger banking products that are in particularly the the Euro, the us and europe um are that those banks are often not customers primary bank accounts so they have to spend a lot of money on marketing to those customers to try and get them to switch to having their salary deposited into the new account versus their old sort of traditional bank mm-hmm. and a lot of those customers just tend to use those accounts as sort of pocket money accounts and they'll top up you know, 20, $30 here and there, or use it to be tied to their Venmo account or something, but they're not mm. really switching their primary deposits into there. And that's something that's different about now money customers is because we are customers, number one bank account, and we work with their employer, we know that every single account is going to get funded every single month with all their salary. And then from there, we know that we're going to capture all of their transactions. So that's an extremely sticky model to have. Yeah. And we know that 75% of the population in the Gulf fall into our bracket and there's really very little competition. So we're, we're very much a full stack banking product in terms of the services that we offer. So we've got you know, several different revenue lines that we monetize the suppliers that give us services for our customers. And then we're also starting to monetize the relationship that we have with corporates as well by offering some more services to them. I was about to ask that because it's, what's interesting, mm. which just strikes me is that in a way your, your customer is the corporate because that's who you're striking the deal with. Yeah. But you're monetizing yeah. the individual um, yeah. employee. So yeah. the churn happens at the corporate level, not at the, because employees come and go, right? But you can't yeah. control that. So Correct. so talk about how you think about churn or how you, know, how you think about who do you have to keep happy? Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's very important. And you're right, we're we're not just B2C, we're B2B2C. You know, so we're business to, you know, to to business to consumer, which is a slightly different model to just, you know, what people know usually, which is B2C or or direct to consumers. So hundred percent we've got quite a big value chain to keep happy because we've got the corporate who certainly is the decision maker and the one that we need to make sure feels that our services alleviate their pain that we seem to have done a great job of because they previously were dealing with quite archaic solutions where they were emailing a spreadsheet to an exchange house, then having to phone that exchange house relentlessly to work out when the staff were being paid. The staff were obviously hassling them the whole time. Mm -hmm. No visibility of any of that. So it was quite a painful process monthly, whereas now our corporates can use our portal to pay people. They've got complete visibility of all their payments. They can pay people at the touch of a button. They can pay them every day if they want, you know, monthly. There's no restrictions on the way that they can do that. And a lot of them have reported back to us real benefits that they've seen in staff performance based on the change in the way that they've started paying them, which is a really cool you know, thing yeah. that we didn't expect. So uh, that's, that's a really nice piece of feedback. We also tend to get really good feedback from our corporates on the way that we manage the relationships with them. There's always people available to help them all the time if they, tr- if they need any troubleshooting with the portal. But generally, that's a very sticky feature for us. We haven't lost a client to date for anything, any reason other than we had a couple of hotels shut down, unfortunately, during coronavirus. But obviously, it's to be expected. Well, yeah. We haven't lost anybody due to performance issues, which is great. The staff, yeah, they're now obviously the second group of people that we need to keep happy because unless we engage them via the app, make it something that they actually want to use and enjoy engaging with and find easy to use, 
we won't monetize at all. So that's, you know, we, we rely on customers using the app and using the services that we provide so that we can, we can monetize the suppliers that give us those services. Yeah. So I'm shifting maybe to more of a social question, but the, um, yeah. um, could you talk a little bit about kind of who these end users are? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned it's, it's people working in hotels, working in shops. Yeah. It's a variety of, are, are they generally direct employees? Are they um, independent contractors? Are they gig workers? Mm-hmm. Talk about that and talk about, um, frankly, the conditions of their lives and, and uh, maybe how you feel you're mm-hmm. improving that um, and whether that was a driving force for you. I mean, just talk about mm-hmm. the just the, 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 your clients a little bit more because I think we need to understand that a little bit better. Yeah, sure. So historically, we haven't focused a lot on people who are, uh, I guess, what you term as gig economy, which is a relatively new thing in the Gulf. So most people here, their their work is is what provides their visa. So most people here are employed by a company of some sort. So it's quite difficult to take part in what is officially the gig economy and taking payments for that in an official yeah, just way. Show up so, and become an Uber yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So although Uber does exist here, yeah. the Uber drivers are all provided by smaller limousine companies. And that's where, you know, that's who then gets um, charged out when you call an Uber. It's not just like, you know, a random dude with this car like it is in the US. So it's a bit right. different here in the way that those sort of things are structured doesn't mean that we can't work with a limousine company we absolutely right. can and give those those guys each the now money app and the limousine company can use that to pay the guys which you know we've we've had conversations with people like that as well we do work with uh driver companies we work with a multitude of hotels mm-hmm. we work with retail companies who you know sell things in stores uh some of those guys who work on commission basis the way that they use now money is really helped to incentivize their store staff to sell more on a daily basis which is really um, nice thing that we had no idea would happen and that's one of our clients has reported that back to us construction companies which is a huge one and when people think of blue collar worker they they often just picture laborers and people building stuff particularly in the middle east but that is a big proportion of our clients but certainly not the only only portion there's tons of manufacturing done in the uae and saudi as well um, food and beverage manufacturing as well as all number of materials we've got lots of clients across that uh yeah it's really anybody that isn't in a well-paid office job would, okay. would fall into our sector and what is the um, transitory nature of it are people coming and staying for mm-hmm. years and years or are they coming yeah. and staying two years to make money i mean you say the remittance is the must mm-hmm. create an incentive to stay i have mm-hmm. to but yeah. Is it a very transit? Talk about that a little bit. Just the UAE and the whole of the Gulf. It can it can be a transient place. Many people come here, particularly on the lower income segment, with a plan. So a five year plan, a ten year plan, and at Sounds the end like of that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, you know they're going to go maybe home. Maybe it's not acting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're going to go home and buy a business, a house, a car. But I mean, often the things can be slightly different goals. So it might be a wedding that they want to pay for. Uh, you do also find that there are a lot of people here who are supporting a lot of younger siblings at home. And that can be a harder message to hear because for those people, there's perhaps less of a plan involving them and more of just a support plan. Many people are supporting five or more people back home. So you can see that you know them them being here it's not just 
like a, a choice or something that is necessarily always just around them, it can be uh, a really big responsibility. And that money mm-hmm. is going a long way to being able to send it back home. Um, one thing that I would highlight is there can sometimes be, and like it, it's difficult to put this sensibly, like people sometimes from outside this region will look at it and, and pity some of these people and say like, that's so dreadful, why are they doing that? That's terrible. And like what I would always respond back to them is like those people have made a choice to do this. They have made a conscious plan. And if you could do for your family what these people are doing and in five or 10 years, maybe even retire off the back of that, wouldn't you do it? And like there is, yeah, I think there are, these people are very clear on what they're doing most of the time. They you know, have a plan. They've made a big sacrifice, but it is all towards a bigger goal. So you hear some amazing stories about what people are saving towards, what they've been able to do, what their children, younger siblings, et cetera, have been able to achieve with the money that they've saved and sent home every month. You also hear some more lighthearted things like you hear that people are like saving money to pay for cosmetic surgery or like, you know, a trip somewhere, those kinds of things. So there's all number of reasons that people are here and people are doing things that they're saving for. And it's, it's a really nice part of the job being able to hear about those things. How did COVID, uh, the obvious question is how did COVID Mm. disrupt or accelerate or whatever, any of this? Talk about that a little bit. I think, you know, COVID for us, like most people had um, ups and downs. So there were many negative things about COVID for us. So it obviously is just an unsettling time for everybody whilst you transition into working from home. Luckily, as a tech company, we're all pretty well equipped to do that. As a payments company, we were also exempt from being in, in total lockdown. So mm-hmm. our employees were able to get around and make sure that we could still deliver cards to people. But there were impacts. So we obviously had a lot of customers who had to leave and go home or, or temporarily on unpaid leave. People who worked in the hospitality industry, construction projects that were put on pause, etc. One of the nice things about living in the Gulf, though, is that stuff tends to get addressed pretty quickly. So we had a very aggressive, short, sharp lockdown in March and April. And during that time, they were able to you know, arrange that we were going to be first on the list to get vaccines, that there was tons of healthcare available for everybody. They sprayed the streets with disinfectant every night and really got on with it. And that meant that we weren't locked down for that long. And then business could reopen you know, albeit with people complying with masks, et cetera, from May onwards last year. And since then, it has bounced back pretty well. So the hospitality industry seems to be absolutely storming it. You can't get, a, a you know, a restaurant booking now for love nor money. So like a lot of people who would have been traveling, I think, are now choosing to stay in Dubai or the UAE at home and, and do things here. So most of our clients seem to be doing really well again. All the construction projects seem to be back on. All the hotels and restaurants and bars and stuff seem to be back open again. That's great to see. Manufacturing obviously just continued anyway, particularly things like food and bev. In terms of the, the more, I guess, direct effect on the actual app and how customers interacted with us, like any business that offers digital services, you know, our engagement quadrupled or something, I think, during the coronavirus period. So that's not really news to anybody now that anyone involved in digital financial services just became a lifeline because yeah. people were not, especially for us, people were actually not allowed outside of their accommodation at all, except with like a weekly permit for groceries uh, in those couple of months of last year. So mm. 
anybody that didn't believe in financial services who you know obviously would have been a bit of a, a lazy adopter by yeah, they became know, in those standards yeah. Yeah. quickly became uh, an adopter of them so yeah we're really pleased to see that the engagement that grew and most of that has actually continued into this year and we're seeing that new companies that we onboard now have a much quicker path to engaging with all our services than ones that we onboarded this time last year. Okay. Well, sorry, so, a bit earlier than this time last year. Yeah. Right. A couple more things I want to cover and um, kind of looking forward. Um, so what what's your, your company, I believe, founded in 2016, if I read correctly. Is yeah. that right? And yeah. then... Um, so you've been around, you know, you're not brand new, but you know, you've had yeah. some time to figure things out, make some mistakes. Yeah. But, um, and I know Thank people you. don't always like to talk about their path forward in too much detail, but, um, but can you talk about what your priorities looking in the next 12, 18, 24 months are, uh, mm -hmm. is it, you know, ge geographically product wise, et cetera, uh, fundraising, you know, what's, What's the most important priorities, for you, handful of priorities for you in the next little bit? Sure. So we have expanded quite a lot of our services in the UAE. So we can now uh, give accounts to really any company of any size. So for a while, we had various restrictions on us. There's no restrictions now. We also, for a while, only focus on bigger companies. We now have services that cater to any company of any size. So we can work with a maid on her own. Um, up to a company with sort of 50,000 staff. So no restrictions at all on the type of companies that we can process payroll and give, give accounts to their staff, which is, which is fantastic. So UAE, we've got to continue that march. Uh, we're also now building out our product in Saudi. So every market that we work in, although it's easy to talk about the Gulf as a common market, it isn't a common market. It requires us to deploy our data centers, our product, all our integrations, all our partners, everything has to be rebuilt out, relicensed, et cetera, for every market that we enter. Saudi is very much our priority at the moment. So we are working on that. We have a fantastic partner bank there who's providing a lot of services for us and really helping us out. I spent probably most of 2019 in Riyadh. So this has been a while coming and yeah, we'll be delighted to get that product out this year and you know, start servicing companies in, in Saudi. So that's very much the priority for the next year. But we're also dealing with early conversations in Kuwait and Oman. They would obviously be the, the next markets that come and Qatar is, is slightly easier to get into again now as well. Now the political situation there has, has calmed down, which is good news because right. they've got the World Cup, the Football World Cup there in, I think next year it's planned for actually. So. There's a lot of construction and, and people arriving in Qatar to build out stuff there. So services are, are needed in Qatar too. Um, the Gulf is very much our, our primary market, I guess. And when people talk about the unbanked and opportunities that might be there for us, a lot of time, the time people mention the Levant, you know, Egypt, Lebanon, um, and even going into North Africa as well. And it's true, there are a lot of unbanked or at least underbanked people in those markets, but the people there have a slightly different requirement to the people who are residents in the Gulf because they tend to be native to those countries. So the so remittance market. Have, exactly, the remittance yeah. market is, is mm -hmm. non-existent. That doesn't mean that we cannot enter those markets, but our product there probably has to be slightly different based on the needs of people who are local to those countries. We also, you know, are starting to look at building out our networks in the recipient countries that we work with. So you have uh, most of the people that are 
customers of Now Money in the markets that we're in at the moment are from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Philippines, Nepal. So we're also starting to look at building out our payout networks in, in those opposite corridors of our of our network as well, because that's what helps us to keep more margin in the in the company. Okay. And so what is your um, concern about like another now money showing up or has one already? Maybe I missed it, but um... yeah, I mean, it's there's um, to be honest, there's the considering the 75 percent of the population that just don't have access really to anything. There is room for more than one now money if, if one pops right. up. Um, would I advise this journey to other fintech entrepreneurs? It's a pretty slow one to bring to market, very capital intensive and very labor intensive. And mm -hmm. there's certainly no one silver bullet that allowed us to get this product to market. So there's probably lower hanging fruit for fintech entrepreneurs that want to make money quicker than doing something like now money. But uh, no doubt there will be some competitors starting to snap at our heels soon yeah i know it's inevitable right if you have any success yeah, right 100%. so, so um, that begs a final question mm -hmm. um if it doesn't have to be a young entrepreneur but any entrepreneur who wants to start a company in uh in your region where do you think or maybe ask it if you were to rewind your life five to ten years and start again mm. but you're in this moment um what would you start? You know, where, where, where do you think the big opportunities are? That low-hanging fruit you mentioned mm -hmm. a moment ago. It's difficult to see opportunities outside of payments because I've spent my whole career in payments. So whilst mm -hmm. I don't recommend it to people, it's also it's right, you know. <laughs> opportunities, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. it's kind of most of what I know. Yeah. I still think that uh, analytics is being done so poorly by most companies to be honest not just uh, in this region but globally and people are talking in very um, grandiose ways about things like machine learning and uh, advanced analytics and those kinds of things whereas most companies could really benefit from just some basic algorithms that allow them to mm -hmm. stop spamming customers like sms's which is a, a very popular way to contact customers in this region but you know ignored 100% of the time so analytics um if you could start a company that offers you know analytics at a cost effective way to companies whether that's on marketing or you know product placement analysis those sort of opportunities they're things that can have such a huge impact on companies that most companies just don't prioritize it or they find it really expensive you know it's it is something that is still often out of reach particularly for small companies so i would Probably, if I had my time again, possibly look at doing something down down that road, and um, yeah, maybe there's still time for that one day. <laughs> Perhaps I, I imagine there will be. All yeah. right. Well, I guess we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Been a great conversation. Really appreciate your time. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Great. Same. Thank you.